I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media with out the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. And welcome back to another amazing week of great shows, episodes, interviews. I don't know where this intro is coming from. Go with me, people. Um, I'm excited for today because anybody who knows me knows I love music and I'm so happy to have the CMO of Fender, Evan Jones, on today to talk about all things Fender, their amazing collabs, the cool guitars, the cool campaigns, just all the above. And Evan's had a cool career and a cool life, so we get into all that also. So if you love music, if you love Fender, if you love guitars, if you are just here to hang out and play something while you take a walk, this episode is for you. So everybody sit back, relax, and enjoy this amazing episode with Evan. Evan, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Doing great. Great to be here. All right. So before we get started into all things music and all the chaos and fun, um, we always ask the question here, um, what the term a young influential means to you? It's a great question. I mean, I, I think um, from my perspective, uh, I think it really comes down to two things. I mean, I, I think um, it's about being authentic, so authenticity. Um, and I think it's also about curiosity. Um, and what I mean by that is I think, you know, no matter how old you get or where you're at in your life, if you can be true to yourself, um, understand what motivates and inspires you and kind of figure out what your niche is in the world is going to be, that's a journey that never stops. Um, and it never stops if you're curious, because I think no matter where we all get to in our careers or what we think we know, um, there's always someone around the corner or someone else you're going to meet or some experience you're going to have, um, you know, if you're putting yourself out there that, you know, can change your perspective, change the way you, you see things or think about things. And, um, you know, as, as, you know, I think we all know growth kind of happens outside your comfort zone. So, um, you know, maintaining that curiosity, I think, is a big part of uh, also retaining and building your influence. Come on. I love that answer. And your um, growth outside the comfort zone reminds me of, 
I think it was Chris. This is not a sponsored plug, but I love their slogan. That's like life opens up when you do. So whenever I'm like going out of my comfort zone, I'm like life opens up when I do. <laughs> so I love that. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Well, I can't say that I meant for that to be a, a, an advertising slogan, but um, it's something at least I've, I've tried to live by in my life. No, I, I love it. I love it. Um, but before we get into all the current cool things that you're up to, take us back to childhood, Evan. Like, d- um, how did music play a role in your upbringing? Were you a huge music fan? Were you a concert goer? Like, how did it play its role? Yeah, I think, um, you know, music has always been a huge part of my life. Um, yeah, I think probably going all the way back to being born in New Orleans, Louisiana, and having a father who was huge into music, um, in fact, outside of his professional career, you know, he was a very accomplished jazz piano player. So m- music was kind of always a part of my life from day one. And even though we grew up in Eugene, Oregon, um, which was probably the farthest thing from from New Orleans, um, you know, we'd always get back there every summer. And I think, you know, having, you know, a family member who was so into music, um, it was easy for me to fall in love with music, too. Um and I think from there, you know, as a kid growing up, there were two things that I did outside of school. One is I, I played sports and one was I played music. And, you know, I loved um, kind of both the creative, expressive outlet that both provided. My, my first instrument I learned to play was a piano and then fell into an alto saxophone in fifth grade. Um, and then, you know, was involved in a jazz lab in high school while also playing basketball. And I'll remember when I graduated from college, three days after graduation, I, I bought my first acoustic guitar and uh, hopped a, a, a plane to Germany to go play professional basketball, of all things. But, you know, it was kind of a thread that was with me the entire way. Um, and that persists to this day. M- music is something that I still um, have as part of my life, not only on the professional side, but, um, you know, on a daily basis, I'm fortunate that I get to work at a company where um, an instrument is only ever just an arm's reach away. No, that's so cool. And when you said New Orleans, I merely thought of Boudreaux and Po' Boys. And so I am craving that. Now I'm craving that. But aside from that, that's so cool that um, you did um, alto sax and stuff. I remember when I was looking at playing instruments, I looked at that first and then I was like, eh, I'll do trumpet. And then I realized how hard it was because it actually wasn't just pressing three buttons. And then I wanted to play piano during quarantine, but I didn't have access to a piano. So, you know, you've inspired me that, you know, it's never too late. (laughs) It is never too late. Um, And I would say if you ever want to get back into it, I mean, I work at Fender, but I'll still plug it. Pick up a guitar. (laughs) It's uh, it's one of the best um, outlets and releases um, in the world. Maybe I can be the next Ed Sheeran. You know, I I have hope for myself. (laughs) You never know. Anything's possible. Um, but speaking of Fender, can you give us like a history of like what Fender is for those who aren't familiar with the brand? Yeah, I, you know, I think um, Fender is now a 76-year-old company and brand that was founded in 1951, um, actually 1946, by a gentleman named Leo Fender. And, and Leo Fender was based in Fullerton, California. Um, Leo was not a guitar player. In fact, he was a radio technician who happened to have some friends who played music and he was trying to find a way 
um, to innovate to allow them to generate electric guitar sounds, um, which was sort of fast becoming, um, you know, part of sort of the new generation of music at that time. And Leo's invention really was in 1951, sort of the iconic uh, Fender Telecaster, which was one of the first uh, electric guitars to feature what's called a bolt on neck. So prior to that, all electric guitars were single body construction, which meant, you know, one piece of wood had to be perfectly carved and honed so that it could form a guitar. And Leo's innovation was, no, let's not do that. Let's actually keep the body and the neck separate. And by allowing you to bolt on the neck, he actually was able to reduce the cost of production. And one of the unintended consequences of that is years later, people then took advantage of that um, modification potential of the guitar to start putting different necks on different bodies and creating all these different sounds that really have become such an important hallmark of the Fender brand. Um, but over those 76 years, I, I would say what's pretty incredible about Fender is um, in addition to electric guitars, the company went on to innovate you know, electric amplifiers, bass amplifiers, bass guitars, I think the precision bass um, that some people may know about, I think Quincy Jones's quote was, there would be no rock and roll uh, if there was no P bass. Um, and his point was, you know, prior to the precision bass, which was essentially a larger scale electric guitar, all the bass players had to walk around with the upright basses or, or much larger physical objects and having a P bass, which was both lighter, but also had frets on it, allowed you to be more accurate um, allowed you to be more mobile and you just gave rise to, you know, bands ability to hit the road and tour together. So a, a lot of pretty fundamental innovations that started back in the fifties then grew into, um, essentially what Fender is today, which is a multi-category musical business where, you know, guitar is still at the heart of what the company does, but, you know, we now work with thousands of artists around the world. Um, you know, we're nearing a billion dollars in revenue as a company, um, and, you know, we are as much about elevating and keeping and pushing guitar and music and culture to, to keep it exciting and relevant as we are about also, you know, selling guitars to players and artists and creators. And I feel like you brought up a good really point about like kind of keeping it relevant and stuff. And what are some key ways that you all have been doing that to like keeping it relevant and like uh, marketing it towards like younger consumers, but also still keeping that history and that culture of it at the center. Yeah. So I, I started here at Fender in um, 2015. And um, when I first started, one of the biggest things we did uh, was we actually commissioned some research to really understand what is the true sort of base of players that are out there in the world using guitars. Obviously, at a company like Fender, um, tremendous legacy, um, a tremendous employee base who really have sort of mastered the art and science of crafting instruments. There was still, I think, a lot to learn about what the world of guitar looked like. And kind of what came back from the research has really helped shape a lot of how we have built our marketing offense and our brand over the last couple of years. And so to your question, you know, one of the things that came back was that probably despite a lot of popular conception, actually 50% of all new guitars are being bought by women. 50% of guitars are being bought by people of color. Um, you know, the average age of people coming into the category was a lot younger than people understood it to be. Um, and so a lot of what we've done in the last seven years has been to really shift from being a trade-based organization on the marketing side 
to being a much more consumer-based organization. And so we've invested in, you know, amplifying artists, expanding the aperture, working with more artists than ever, and in particular, really working with, you know, a much younger, diverse, and wide-ranging group of artists who are using guitars in ways that sometimes don't sound like what traditional artists might have done, but in their own way are really expanding guitar into new places and new parts of music. No, and I think what's really cool is you guys have so many cool campaigns that you guys have done and like teamed up with a lot of cool artists. And I feel like not just a show that like the different ages and ranges like you talked about, but also just how a lot of different artists and different genres use it. Like that's always been one thing that's fascinated me. Like John Mayer might play it one way, but then we might see like Brothers Osborne or like uh, James Bay or somebody else do it in a different way or use different guitars. And I, I especially get a kick out of it whenever they're like swapping them during the shows where they will go from like an electric to an acoustic and that whole excitement and stuff. So like speaking of like those two like campaign wise, do you guys ever, what are there any like key ways that you all find to like do campaigns and stuff with certain artists or how did those types come into play whenever um, working on campaigns like that? Do they usually approach you guys or how does that work? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I got my start from a marketing standpoint um, working at Nike. And in fact, kind of the first 12 and a half, 13 years of my professional career was spent working at Nike and always on the marketing side. And, um, you know, one of the things that Nike, I think, probably did better than anyone else at the time, and I think still does masterfully is, you know, really tries to listen to the voice of the athlete and amplify the athlete's truth in the athlete's voice. I think we, we've tried to take some of that insight um, and apply it here at Fender because, you know, it, it's pretty rare that you get to work with a brand with this level of history, craftsmanship, and frankly, authentic adoption. I think if you look at, you know, stages around the world, there are um, probably more Fenders used on more stages by more artists than any other brand. Um, we estimate we've got somewhere in the order of 80 to 85, sometimes 90% stage share on any given night. And so one of the things that we try to do in everything that we put out in the market is, you know, we try to find ways to take every opportunity to amplify artists and to connect the artists to obviously the products that we're trying to put out in, and, and sell because we believe they have a huge, powerful impact and influence in validating those guitars. But at the same time, anytime we launch a new guitar series, um, let's say a global launch like... Um, the Player Plus that you're talking about, which happened last year, um, which is a series that might have you know, a Telecaster, a Stratocaster, a P-Bass, et cetera. Um, we want to use those opportunities to also showcase the incredible talent and artists who are out there. And so you know, for us, while um, launching a, a new guitar series about the product, it's actually as much about linking it with artists and using those platforms to actually market artist music, their talent, their unique skills, and their unique perspectives. And like speaking of uh, platforms and stuff, you know, I just brought up like my next point. Like, how do you guys figure out like which mediums, like in terms of like social media and stuff, to really like interact with, say that artist's audience, like your guys' audience as Fender and stuff, balancing? So I feel like right now there's just so many platforms, and when it comes to marketing, it's kind of like, okay, what makes the most sense for our messaging when working with this campaign or uh, rolling out this product? So like, have you guys like found like a sweet spot for what makes sense when rolling out a lot of campaigns? Yeah, I think it's evolved a lot for us over the last, you know, seven or eight years. You know, back in 2016, I think we had less than 2 million total followers across our social channels. We had 
I think a CRM database of, you know, less than a couple hundred thousand people and no digital products of any, you know, sort of kind to speak of. Flash forward to today, you know, our social channels and our CRM database are, you know, north of 20, 22 million. Um, you know, we have millions of visitors to our website. Um, and we've now, I think, because of our increased investment in marketing, have been able to really start expanding the number of channels that we leverage to showcase different artists. I think, you know, one of the most interesting things that we've done, in my opinion, in the last year, um, especially when you think about, you know, reaching a younger demographic and younger audience, um, is when we launched our first Fender branded TikTok channel um, in September of last year. Um, you know, you could possibly say, hey, you know, Fender may be a little bit late to the party on TikTok. You know, that was already kind of picking up steam. But I think for us, you know, we didn't want to just sort of tiptoe. We wanted to do it the right way. And what was really exciting for us to see there is, um, you know, not only did we walk into it with a couple artists who already um, had a really strong footprint and understood how the channel worked, um, what it really opened our eyes to was just the level of creativity, the level of musicianship um, and enthusiasm for guitar that exists on TikTok. Um, that really has kind of grown dramatically, you know, even in the last year, where I think now we have about 1.8 million on our way to 2 million on the channel. Um, and if you look at what's happening with guitar, you know, on TikTok itself, it's pretty exciting to see um, just how creative um, and expansive and wide ranging guitar is in the hands of some really interesting, um, you know, artists and creators. And like that brings up a cool point because I felt when it like for me, I know I, I follow a lot of like artists and musician TikTokers and just seeing kind of like how a lot of them learned and picked up guitar during the pandemic was incredible and and uh, new and stuff. And I, I always wonder like whenever like brands like Fender and other would see kind of like that shift during the pandemic, if they had to like change, if they did like a cool thing with messaging to kind of change me like, hey, you have all this free time or hey, like, if you're looking for a new hobby, like, let's try this? Or did you guys do a lot of, like, resources and stuff, like, during that time to kind of encourage that new wave of people being like, oh, let me, now that we're here, let's try to pick up the guitar again. Or, you know, what, this is the time I want to try a new hobby. Yeah, I, you know, I think actually um, it's interesting you bring up the pandemic because over the last couple of years, you know, we've seen one of the largest influxes of new players coming into the category. We estimate that there's something north of 16 million people who picked up the guitar for the first time in the last two years. And obviously those are people with, um, you know, a lot more time at home, whether young professionals or students who, um, you know, were couldn't travel and were looking for some way to either create or connect or, um, you know, just find a release. And so we saw a really big influx of people coming into the category but I think maybe one of the most eye-opening um, things we did at Fender was kind of right when the pandemic hit um, and what happened with Fender Play. And um, like, can you kind of explain like also like what that is? And then, cause I know you guys also have the Fender Play Foundation. Can you kind of expand on both of those? Yeah. Well, so um, in addition to heading up marketing, I also get to lead our digital organization here at Fender. Um, and, you know, Fender Play is actually um, a digital subscription service that we launched back in 2017 that's essentially all designed to help you learn how to play guitar. So as an e-learning platform, um, you know, we rolled it out as a lot of businesses do with a subscription model 
where we wanted to prove, you know, that there's a revenue side to being able to actually teach people how to play. But the bigger idea around Fender Play was always to help reduce the barriers to entry and get people over the hump of, you know, dropping out. I think we estimated at the time that only about 10% of the people who pick up guitar in a given year make it through and roughly 90% drop out. So Fender Play was an attempt for us to reduce the abandonment rate. Um, when we got to the pandemic with Fender Play, you know, I remember we were about a week away from uh, everything going on lockdown. And I walked into our CEO's office, Andy Mooney, who also happened to be, um, you know, an ex-Nike um, alumnus. And, um, you know, we were talking about, well, what can we do given the fact that we're all going to be on lockdown? And I said, hey, why don't we offer Fender Play for free? There's going to be a lot of people out there looking for something to do. You know, we know it's a revenue generating um, product for us, but let's just let's just do the right thing. Let's make it free to anybody who wants to use it. And we thought that maybe 10,000 or 20,000 people would take us up on that offer over the course of a couple of weeks. In fact, we had 100,000 people sign up in the first three days. And within about three weeks, we had almost a million people sign up for Fender Play for free. It was shared by artists all over the world and creators. I think we generated something close to 7 billion impressions globally. But I think, you know, while all of that was amazing to see, what was really cool was to see the response from the community and people feeling like, you know, just even by making Fender Play free and giving them access to, to, to gear, that they were able to navigate a tough time. And, you know, a lot of thank yous and a lot of connections and a lot of music was created um, you know, during that time um, that honestly was completely inspirational for us. And it was also eye-opening in terms of showing us just how much pent-up demand there is out there for music and for guitar. I know, yeah, because I know I was one of those who was like looking up tutorials and stuff. And I was actually just on it looking and I was like, dang, I wonder if like, like I was saying earlier, it's like, I could, you know, try this again, you know, I could could see something out. But I think that's so cool. Like when I, I feel like it was so cool seeing a lot of, businesses during that time do things like that where they like offer their services like that like i know i was one of those that because i couldn't figure out how to make the banana bread like everybody else i was like one of the ones that was looking up tutorials and all the different like companies that were offering like free services to like learn different skills and stuff so maybe i'll learn how to make banana bread later and i'll do the guitar now or whatnot well then but, you've got to get a guitar to make a song about the banana bread so it'll exactly be and then you know i then get like john mayer or somebody on it and then boom there we go <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. That would be incredible. And we've... <laughs> but um, speaking of which and stuff, um, I know you guys do like cool stuff like that, but um, do you guys offer any like other in-person workshops or community engagement events to really interact with people in person? I know everybody like since now being out of lockdown are trying to really connect and kind of put a face to those users or to those consumers? Have you guys been planning or do any of those things like that coming up? Well, we don't have anything planned right now around Fender Play. Um, although, you know, we are thinking long-term about what it would be like to offer access to instructors as part of the platform. Um, Cause we have so many great instructors who, you know, do such a great job of teaching guitar, but when it comes to sort of events and connecting back in person, actually, um, we just had an event in Austin, Texas, just about two weeks ago that was tied to another product launch that um, was really exciting. And I think it was just to your point, uh, there's an, a passion and an enthusiasm around the Fender brand and around music that just came through in a, in a really great way. No, that's so I Speaking of which, like, I'm from Texas, so I love Austin. So when he said that, I was like, ooh, was it something with um, ACL? <laughs> I missed ACL this year, so I'm a little I'm a little bitter. I'm a little sad about it. <laughs> yeah, it was. And, 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 you know, it's it's too bad you couldn't be there. But, you know, I think this may be something just given the success we might want to repeat. Um, so I think for us what happened is, you know, we launched a series of guitars just a few weeks back, early October, called the American Vintage 2 Series. And... This is a series of guitars that essentially is, um, you know, two spec remakes of the original classic models of Fender. So, for example, there's a 1951 Tele in there, which is made to the exact specifications of the original Tele. And the interesting thing is if you wanted to buy those instruments today, um, you're talking, you know, high thousands of dollars in terms of the price point to get your hands on one. And so what we wanted to do was with the series um, granted, these are still expensive guitars. They come in at around, you know, $2,100 each, but we wanted to, for a limited time in the case of the 1951 Tele, um, create an event in Austin that would bring guitar lovers together, you know, people who are passionate about the brand, passionate about music and sort of as a, um, as sort of a cherry on top of that, um, we gave 51 people a chance to buy a 51 Tele for the 51 price. So by comparison, that's a 220 something dollar price for a much, much more expensive guitar. Um, and it was incredible to see people turn out. And some of it was for, you know, the actual buying of the guitars. But a lot of it was, you know, people who just share an enthusiasm for music and for guitar um, and for community kind of all being together um, and, you know, getting to kind of have a shared experience around um, in between the Austin City Limits event. Um, I think we had something like 1,500 people lined up, uh, you know, for a midday event. They started lining up at 6 a.m. for a oh chance to gosh. get guitars. <laughs> so, like, I, we used to see this all the time at Nike. We've never seen it like this with Fender. Um, so that's exciting. And 
at the same time, we also simultaneously held an event in Tokyo. Um, and that event was to get 57 strats at the 57 strat price. Um, and we had about 1,200 people line up and show up for that event. So um, it's all pretty exciting stuff. And I think probably speaks to um, the enthusiasm that people have for the Fender brand and, you know, probably also the smartness of offering it up at a, a pretty affordable price. Wait, that's so cool. Like if I, oh, that's so cool. I'm just like picturing that. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like I can't even imagine if I was like a huge person, like they'd be like, um, I got this really expensive guitar at the price of my rent or whatever for only 200. Like you hit the jackpot. Are you kidding me? Totally. Yeah, we had, I mean, what was so cool in Austin is, um, you know, because it was essentially um, a draw, you know, you get to come in the door, put your, your name in a hat. When, when we announced the winners, um, everybody in the room was clapping for the winners because they had the same enthusiasm <laughs> for the guitar. So it was really cool to see. I feel like I would have been that like person that's like doing like a slow clap, like, like bitter about it, <laughs> but like... <laughs> wanting to still put out the positive vibes you're like you know what like it's not always about me it just like does like a nice gentle clap for the person who got it <laughs> well i think it's it's definitely you know opened our eyes to what's possible um so i think next time we have an event we definitely have to let you know yeah let me know i'm i do not need an excuse to come back and enjoy austin at any time <laughs> and devin can you kind of tell us a little bit about we talked about it a little bit earlier but can you kind of share some information about the Fender Play Foundation and what all that entails? Yeah, um, this is something I'm actually really proud of here at Fender. Um, you know, we introduced the Fender Play Foundation in 2019 as a way to align our you know, giving strategy with our overall brand strategy. Um, the idea really was to equip, educate and inspire the next generation of students, um, many of whom don't have access to music education, much less resources, especially in the public school system. Since launching the foundation in 2019, um, we've now, as of the end of this year, we'll have put over 15,000 instruments in the hands of students and teachers in Los Angeles. Um, and there, I think, you know, I have to say the centerpiece of what we've been doing is really our partnership with the LA Unified School District. Um, it's the second largest school district in the country. Um, and with the program, we've really been able to develop what they call a synchronous and asynchronous learning program. Um, in fact, I'll, we'll never forget, we got the phone call from the then superintendent, Austin Butner back in, I think it was maybe April of 2020. And it was right when all the schools were on lockdown, everybody was at home, you know, students were struggling, parents were struggling. And he called and just asked us if we'd be willing to sponsor a pilot program where we would put instruments in the hands of students, um, work with teachers to give them access to Fender Play and develop a curriculum that could help kids learn to play music. We of course said yes. And I think that first pilot, we had a thousand students learn how to play electric guitar, acoustic guitar, bass, and ukulele. Um, since then, the program has expanded. Now every semester we're growing it. And we think that this can be a model for expanding music education, not only in Los Angeles, but to other school districts around the country. Um, we've even had some pretty incredible partnership um, kind of activities happen as a part of this. So um, one of them that I think I'm, I'm really excited about is both Billie Eilish and Phineas Eilish, oh along with God. their families, um, basically worked with us to sponsor one of the sub-districts in Los Angeles. 
And right now, what that looks like is we've provided 10 middle schools with ukuleles and instruction in partnership with the LAUSD um, um, uh, Teachers Association. And because Billy grew up in Highland Park, she's focusing on those schools. In fact, she visited those schools not that long ago. And I can tell you for those kids, it was life changing. Um, I think we also heard back from Billy and her team just how much she loved the experience. So, you know, it's it's something that we hope we can do as an organization, as a company um, to really facilitate investment in the long term growth and adoption of music education. And frankly, certainly, you know, guitar, ukuleles and bass um, in school. No, that's incredible. And I'm I was I was one of <clears throat> I was one of those that I always saw how important like music education was and over the last few years, just seeing like how they took it out. I've been taking it out of schools. And I remember like growing up at my elementary school, like we would have a program where we could play the keyboard and do stuff for the first 15 minutes of class and how that was such a life changing for me and really brought in my interest in music. And so seeing programs like this and foundations and especially like being able to meet Billie Eilish, like I'm, that's going to make such a huge impact on these kids and Hopefully, I hope more schools do take up projects like this because it provides such like an outlet, freedom, and just so much to a lot of these kids. So that's incredible work that you guys are doing. Yeah, it's um, it's humbling to be in front of students and teachers and see just how much it can mean to them. And, you know, I think we're fortunate to get to work in a company like we do. And so to be able to provide this, I think, is really important. Um, we're doubling down on it even further, actually, with something we're doing this this November, um, you know, I mentioned the superintendent from LA who reached out to us. Well, after he left his post, um, you know, we had a meeting to talk about what else could we do to help facilitate music education in California. And so um, one of the things that we did is we invested in standing up a 501c4 organization who has successfully been able to get a ballot in front of the voters in California this November that if passed will create an 800 million to $1 billion annuity that will fund music and arts education in every school district in the state of California, all without raising any taxes. Um, This is a really interesting and exciting um, proposition. I mean, obviously, you know, um, from a political perspective, people I think can, you know, make up their own opinions about what they do and don't want to get behind but I think it's the only proposition that's in front of the voter that has no opposition from anyone. And to be honest, how can you not be in support of music and arts education and you know making it accessible to every student in the state? So we're doing that too. And you know we've contributed about a million dollars to that effort to help um, you know, raise the signatures. And we're hopeful that in November that'll, that'll pass and it'll become a, yet another model that we might be able to replicate in another state in the country. That that's incredible. No, that's so cool, especially like where it has little snow effect on them, like and payment wise, like why not be behind that? So that yeah, that's that's crazy. That's so cool. I hope everything fingers crossed and I'm sending all the good vibes that way for that. <laughs> fingers crossed. Tell a friend, yes on twenty-eight. <laughs> <laughs> and for all those who are listening who are like, Oh, Evan, so cool, love this for you, but like I'm not in working like with a cool music brand like you are, but I want to, what advice do you have for them, for anybody who's listening that's like, oh, I'd love to work for somebody like Fender or uh, be in this type of industry. Like um, what are like easy steps or 
things that they can do to kind of get their foot in the door? Well, I wish I knew the easy steps. Um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, I actually started my professional career working at Nike, like I mentioned, for eight years in Europe and five years in Beaverton. Um, you know, and then left there and for another seven years in different roles at other companies like DC Shoes, Activision and New Era, even a startup um, and an agency in San Diego. And, you know, I, I guess the irony for me is I, I didn't study music or marketing in college. In fact, when I graduated, I thought I was going to get into sports medicine. Um, but, you know, after a year of playing semi-pro ball in Germany and Hungary, I basically was able to join Nike in, in Austria. So I think, you know, maybe from that, I'd say my advice is don't ever let anyone tell you what you have to do to qualify for a certain role or opportunity or path. Um, I've always believed it's less about perfectly charting a path and just much more about being persistent and maintaining forward progress. Um, you know, what I mean by that is there's always going to be hurdles, obstacles or hiccups, because frankly, those are signs that you're growing and evolving. And I think, you know, if you want to build a career in marketing, I think my advice is just understand that there's really only kind of two forms of motion, um, backwards and forwards. There is no standing still. And I think, you know, like I said in the beginning, if you're authentically curious and, um, you know, you're interested in learning and developing and adding to your skill set, um, you know, I think that there is no one specific path or route that you have to take. What I will say is, you know, align yourself with an opportunity or a brand or a company that aligns with your values. Um, there's nothing worse than, you know, putting in 40 hours a week or let's face it, in the early stages of your career, maybe 50 or 60 or 70 hours <laughs> a week and doing it for something that you just don't personally connect with. Um, you know, and if you're doing something because you want to get a technical skill, I get it. That's probably worth doing. Um, but I think at the same time, you know, while you want to challenge yourself and, and take on those areas that are going to be uncomfortable, I think you want to make sure at the same time that, you know, the values of the place you're in really fit who you are, because honestly, life is too short. Um, and I also believe that, you know, when people are in places where their values are aligned and they can grow, that really is where some of the best stuff happens. And I've been fortunate in my career, even though I've had some challenges and hurdles and obstacles, to now land here at Fender, which is about as aligned with my values as I can imagine um, in terms of, you know, my passion for music, my passion for building and driving a marketing organization, um, you know, and honestly, my, my excitement around opening up the aperture um, for guitar to a whole new generation of people. And I feel like what's key with a lot of people is they always think where it's like, oh, like you start here and then you work your way up there. And it's like you said, there is no clear, quote unquote, easy way there. Like you're going to have your turns. And uh, even I know with with me, like we've had like where we had to circle back and go back to the same place. And then that helps to get ready for something else. I feel like the clean lesson here, like you said, is that there is no easy route. So there are no shortcuts. Sometimes it's going to take longer, but just because it takes longer doesn't mean you can't get there. And you kind of just have to keep going. And like you said, like find the companies and stuff that align with your values and don't just do stuff to just check a box. But like you said, like you're going to be putting in 50, 60, 70, who knows how many hours. So you want to actually enjoy where you are and enjoy and make sure that's reflecting what the values and stuff that you have since you'll be spending so much time there. Yeah, I totally agree. And I know it's easy to say, 
but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, which is, I think, you know, in a world of LinkedIn and social media and everybody worrying about titles and looking across at where someone else is, you might have gone to business school or college or high school with somebody who seems like they're farther ahead in their progression than you are. I, I would almost just say ignore as much of that as you can and focus on where you are, where you want to go and what you believe your path needs to be. Um, when you start looking too much externally, you can kind of lose sight of the things that matter to you. And I think that kind of brings it back to my point about values. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's easy to get caught up in the title game um, and the position game. But um, if you're being true to yourself and you're pushing yourself to grow, good things will happen. Um, and I would even say, you know, aim big, interview for jobs that feel like they're outside your reach, you know, or take on a challenge that feels like it's going to be more than you think you can take on. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't want to come across as like some, you know, wild motivational speaker here, but, <laughs> you know, um, I, I would just say, um, you know, push yourself and make sure you're doing it in a place where you enjoy spending time. No, I love that. It drops mic. Well, Evan, thank you so much for all this great wisdom and all this fun chat. This was such a blast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, great speaking with you too. Wow. How great was this episode? If you were like me, you probably took a lot of notes and have a lot of questions and comments. So if you do, feel free to add us at Adweek across Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias. And we'd love to hear from you all. And feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That always helps us. And we can't wait to hear from you all and see you in the next episode. So bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Young Influentials, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Aarons, and edited by Lane McGibney at Bountwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 